Hey, welcome back to another episode of Security Ledger Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Roberts. I'm the editor-in-chief here at Security Ledger. And I'm really thrilled to be back in the studio with Chris Peterson, who is the CEO of a new startup, Radical, that is helping to erase the security poverty line, what Wendy Nather referred to as the security poverty line, um, particularly in regard to companies that work in defense industrial base. Chris, thanks so much for uh, coming on Security Ledger and talking to us. It's great to have you. Yeah, uh, great to be here, Paul. I appreciate the being on your show. My pleasure. Chris, for our listeners, viewers who don't know of you, give us your origin story, your kind of journey through cyber. Yeah, yeah, happy to. I've been in cyber for quite a while. I began at Pricewaterhouse and, you know, I was actually a you know, financial auditor, accountant at, you know, out of school. And a year into it, an article came out within Pricewaterhouse talking about this group in New York, and this guy in New York who was doing these pretty amazing things, hacking into banks, Pricewaterhouse customers, testing their defenses. And I read that and I just thought, wow, that sounds way better than being a financial auditor. And how do I go do that? Um, and that guy turned out, you know, that's George Kirk, founder of CrowdStrike. And, and so he was, he was the guy at Pricewaterhouse. I read that article. I was like, I want to go do, I want to go do what George is doing and navigated into their EDP audit practice, which is early InfoSec. And then I navigated from there into uh, the, you know, penetration testing. And in person, I began to build some tools like what served me well in my career actually was laziness. I, I hated to do all these like all this manual work. So I began to build like tools and scripts to automate database audits. And I could now do an audit for database in two hours versus 40 hours. When I built the tool to uh, automate war dialing. You know, back then we were doing war dialing, looking for modems. You know, built the tool to do that and kind of, you know, yeah. some automation analytics. Eventually that got me to build the tool that was very early GRC with this guy, John Darbyshire, then later went on to a found Archer. But through that, Ian Wyden came after me, Don Darbyshire, and a few other people. We formed Ian Wyden's national practice. I'd say just generally speaking, I've been very fortunate to have just somehow found doors in my career where on the other side, there were really smart people to work with. And then Ian Wyden was no different. Um, George Kurtz came over there, Stuart McClure, lots of other just they then authored like the Hack and Expose series and all that kind of stuff you know, came, came out of that period. And I was building a, a software team there and we built a security portal and, uh, and then we built one of the first very early, actually very early vulnerability management platform. And this is 1998 for various reasons that ended up folks began to, you know, to move different places. I went to Counterpain out in Silicon Valley to work for Bruce Schneier's company, who, you know, and he was yep. trying to change the way socks were done. And, and Counterpain was really trying to pioneer the concept of an MSSP. And my job there was to run their network intelligence team and to help build out their, their backend SOC infrastructure. And again, amazing people. And for me, that was also a start, an M, a, a MBA. I was employee 12. It grew to you know, 250 employees in about one year. It was a rocket ship. And I was, because I had a business background from consulting, PW and EY just soaked it all up and acquired a pretty broad skill set, I would say, which has benefited me. And then after unfortunate counterpain, I hit the dot com bubble and challenges. And I found my way to DC to work for Ron Gula, who 
and sold his first company prior to Tenable to Interis's Networks. Tenable. And I went out yep. there. At this time, I began to have my own idea for for a platform. It was this guy, the, I say the genesis of logarithm. But I, I wanted to pick up some more skills. I wanted to go pick up go-to-market skills, product management, product marketing. And uh, so I went there to, one, work with Ron, get smarter on IDS, and then also pick up some business skills. And I did that for a bit. And then uh, I'd say through, for me, some divine intervention, uh, you know, got up the uh, the nerve to start my own company, start Logarithm, and sold my house and uh, bootstrapped it along with my co-founder, Phil Valella. And, and then Logarithm was one, it was a heck of a ride. And you built a think a product that turned really out to be a smart out. investment for you <laughs> it worked out yeah when you sell your house and you put like all the money you have when you're you know 32 into something yeah. you know, it's all gone it's gone that's a gut a gut check moment and but yeah it worked out and had a great had a great partner phil and then just attracted a lot of amazing people along the way and we built in a great culture very customer you know oriented we cared about our customers and even back then I started Logarithm even back then because I was quite confident that U.S. companies were bleeding data to nation states. And so this was 2002, and I was quite sure that nation states were all over the networks of U.S. companies, and, and nobody had an idea about it. And that was my, that was fun, really, for me, what I was going after is, was this data-driven approach to root out deeply embedded threats. Was that just based on what you were seeing, just in the telemetry, basically? Somewhat. Some of it was being surrounded by this, these people like a counterpain and folks like George Kerr and just knowing what was out there and can get an idea of what the trade craft was and an understanding that ultimately cybersecurity even then was how espionage is done. And in my early part of my career, I, I learned on the, on the you know, IT audit side, how to go look in land closets for, for wiretaps, right? And how to make sure that catheter rate two monitors weren't pointed in a certain way so they could be monitored from a Van Eck device, right? 30 years ago, you could collect emissions off of a C, you know, CRT monitor and capture screens from across the street. That's 30 years ago, right? So anyway, so always on the trade craft at a nation state level is somewhat beyond imagination and there is a valuable intelligence to glean. So why would they not be using it to steal our secrets? The reason we're talking today is you've got a new project. So like you said, Logarithm turned out to be a great ride sold the company and you've started a new company. It's called Radical. And you, the news event, the news hook here is you guys just attracted a $9 million investment round. It's your second, so $12 million total funding. Tell us a little bit about Radical and what problem you guys are solving. Yeah, sure. So you know, Radical, the genesis of, of Radical was a few things. One, it, for me, after I sold Logarithm, thought I was retiring, but really had the issue to build again. And also just solar winds, you know, really pissed me off. And maybe we can talk a bit more about that later, but that game changer. Yeah. And then, but then the chance to work with my brother, who's, who's a, a brilliant engineer. And also like my, my good friend, Dave, who went off and was a, a fighter pilot and wing commander, a chance to work with them and build something was very, was very compelling, especially for an important purpose, which is to protect a underserved part of our economy, which are these small and medium-sized businesses who are serving as part of the defense industrial-based supply chain and providing critical infrastructure, where I know just from experience how hard it is to actually protect an enterprise. And then solar winds just re reinforce that in terms of 
if FireEye, Microsoft, Treasury can't protect themselves, how is an SMB going to do it when they actually face the, the exact same class of adversary? And so that was really the motivating driver you know, to go do this. And we chose SMB because there's a very hard problem. It's one that not many people want to go after and try to solve because it's generally not where you go when you start a company to try to go help the SME market out. But this problem needs to be solved and we believe we can solve it. So this space, SMBs, small, mid-sized businesses serving the defense industrial base. What types of companies are we talking about? Are these all in weapons research or is it just a, a broad spectrum of, of companies? And what's the sort of generic profile of one of these companies. Yeah, it really does run the gamut. And, and so and when we say SMB, we're talking companies, at least for us and who we're trying to focus on, sub 500 employee companies. So these, these are companies that you know, they might be employee training, staff augmentation, hospitality, things like that. But then of course, there's companies that are doing advanced manufacturing. They've gotten some schematic that's produced some part, which is very advanced and, and they're stamping them out or they're designing new technology, propulsion systems, stealth engines, stealth technologies, materials that, that go into very, you know, various weapons, guidance systems, it's, you know, et cetera. And those are the companies that are in the crosshairs of, of nation states for, for espionage. China's got a very, I mean, they, they, and Russia as well, but they, they have programs and intentions around accelerating aspects of their defense industry and their economy. And these companies have a lot of valuable IP towards that end. And this goes back decades, like you were saying, certainly back turn of the century, turn of the millennium, if, if not before. Funny that all those Chinese jet fighters look an awful lot like stealth yeah. and the F-16s, yeah. right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, um, and it has been happening for a long time. And the thing the DOD knows it is, they've rolled out CMMC, cybersecurity material. Right. Uh, certification. And unfortunately, it's just gone slowly, which is not you know good for anybody, really. And also, you know, I've got to, uh, back in the kind of just as a radical a buddy of mine that I met in my neighborhood is the CEO of a space company. And so not when I was you know sitting around in my quasi retirement phase, we'd have a beer and be like, hey, man, I get the FBI coming by and just saying, be careful that they're seeing indicators that we're being targeted. What do you know about this? And we can't talk. It's like, hey, I got other buddies. Same thing. FBI is showing up saying, you guys better be careful. You're being targeted. Here's some things you might want to think about doing. Was that social engineering attacks? Their employees being profiled and targeted? Was What types of things generally were you hearing about? I think it's all of the above. I think threat actors only going to use what they need to use to get in. And most of these companies are you know, woefully undefended. So a lot of it is going to be your standard phishing attacks because it's a very easy path in the in the door. But it can get certainly, certainly more advanced from there. Um, I think it's kind of your, 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 typical, your typical basket of, of attack methods, you know, where based upon your defenses, they just keep ratcheting up the sophistication until they eventually get in. So Radical offers what you call extended threat protection, XTP. Really cool concept. Could you just describe what XTP is and how it aligns with maybe some of the acronyms we're familiar with, EDR? and Yeah, in terms of XTP, there's no acronym that we could look at and align with. We are XDR because we're building a platform that can detect broadly the, the, the broad spectrum of threats and respond to any of them. 
but we're also going beyond that into a tax service management. You know, so our model, our philosophy is what you really need is you need that pervasive detection, pervasive response. But you also want to be shrinking the tax surface constantly over time, make it harder for that first foothold to be realized and then harder for any additional ground to be gained you know, if there is that first compromise. And so that's why we come at it from have the XDR component delivered as a managed offering, managed delivery. And then also then the tax surface side, which where that is, you know, both vulnerability management, understanding where are your, your software vulnerabilities, your configuration weaknesses and remediating those across time. So hardening the environment and then also hardening your people through security awareness training. And we think that's really, those are the things that are very hard for SMBs to do because they're very expensive to do in terms of technology and, and staff, but they are ultimately, the, I think the protective shielding you need to put around your, what we would call kind of your basic IT security controls to mitigate weaknesses in that control infrastructure. There's always weaknesses. Your, your preventative controls, process, policy never is implemented 100% ideally. And so we come at it from let's keep locking the environment down more over time, incrementally risk adjusted, and then put a layer of monitoring across everything. We're also deploying what we think is the is best in class endpoint protection in CrowdStrike. And as part of also what we do is we we deploy that, manage it. We do things with it that are unique to what we can do with that technology as well. And that gives us both the best in class protection as well as then that full EDR forensic capability set as well um, on top of the other monitoring that we do. Key to your offering is this thing called the VSOC, a virtual yeah. security operations center, um, right. which you talk about as being really um, AI powered in, in many ways. I think we're all pretty used to MSSPs and the idea that they're managing multiple accounts from a common infrastructure. But uh, so talk just about this VSOC concept and, and how that's a little bit different from the typical MSSP model. Sure. Yeah. So when we, when we approach this problem, I think the, yeah, the, the fundamental challenge that we have, right? So our, our goal really is to take what we call strong enterprise grade cybersecurity, bring it to the SMB, where that kind of that enterprise and, and the components of the enterprise grade really are the things that often live in a SOC. Your monitoring, your vulnerability management, some of your higher tier capabilities. And we need to do this at a price point that is attainable to this market. And we also need to do it in a way where we make it incredibly easy you know, for these businesses, because most of these businesses don't even have a single dedicated security person. And so it needs to be something that is turnkey, simple, easy, and also affordable. And, and so, you know, the, the, so the VSOC, that is our delivery components, how we actually deliver this platform to the customers where it is a hybrid model of, of, of automation, analytics, and, and, and AI-driven decisions and workflow, where over time, we want those AI-driven decisions and workflow to you know, take on and take over as many of the human-driven workflows as we, possibly, as we possibly can. But the best way to train a machine on what it should do in a given situation is to allow it to observe people across time. We will be building our models, training models side by side with our human operators who are also delivering it. And where across time, our pace accelerates, our automation accelerates, and then our ability you know, to, as we scale up, have fewer human operators required, allows us to then reach that target price point. 
This yeah. has been one of the challenges, right, with the serving, trying to serve the, the, the SMB market is just the volume of data and uh, that's created by security tooling and the need to have, you know, basically humans there to right. help make sense yeah. of it and, and, and respond to it. So many people have talked about this. AI potentially could be a game changer that way by, by sure. making it possible to manage that data with many fewer people and much less overhead. You asked about like difference between MSSPs. Do believe that if you really want to harness the potential of AI, you need to actually be able to drive your underlying data architecture and roadmap, because fundamentally it does come down to data, comes down to, you know, to data quality, scale of data, labeling of data, and the ability to build, you know, to build models on top of that that can actually return precise and accurate decisions, especially when talking about in AI driving changes within a IT environment. Accuracy needs to be you know, you know, paramount. And so when you, we think about ourselves versus MSSPs, you know, MSSPs are often built on other people's technology. And so most MSPs don't control their roadmap. They don't control their tech stack. And it's also often a combination of multiple different technologies. Maybe it's, let's say, log management or SEM product combined with a SOAR, combined mm -hmm. with other bridging technologies that are were not built and designed to work cohesively. And, and so with us, we've been very deliberate in terms of how we built our underlying data platform and data architecture to unlock the fullest potential of AI towards accurate automation, accurate decision-making when it comes to security. You're using CrowdStrike on the endpoint. Is this open AI on the back end? Do you have your own uh, models or, or what's powering this? Yeah, we're, we're, we're leveraging, I'd say, the right model for the right purpose. And we're looking, we look to leverage AI in different areas across the platform. So you mentioned SolarWinds, and I'm glad you did. What is your take on this supply chain risk, particularly in the sector you're talking about, this kind of SMB, defense industrial base sector? And does Radical have a fix for that? Yeah. We think radicals to fix, and we're and, and we're hoping to be. Uh, yeah, it it is a big risk. I think it's very significant, and our goal is to get in and help as many companies improve their security posture as as possible quickly over the next few, few years. I think personally, I believe that a lot of these companies that have technology that is of interest to nation state adversaries for industrial or military espionage, I think there a lot of them are already compromised, deeply compromised. Uh, it's one of the reasons as part of what we do is we do very targeted hunting within our customer environments, leveraging things that we understand that around what nation states do to maintain persistence and maintain that deep you know, embedded within environments. And we are you know, quite confident as we get into more and more environments, we will be rooting out and digging out embedded threats that have been there for a while. So if you're a small company doing business with the Pentagon or defense industrial base, you bring Radical on board. Let's say you're like most companies these days, so you, you got a mixture of maybe some on-premises stuff, but a lot of cloud-based stuff and a lot of shadow IT. You, your employees are using yeah. Slack or, or Teams or something like that. What changes with Radical on board? Anything from the employee standpoint? We've tried to keep it very low impact in terms of the in terms of the onboarding experience for a number of reasons. 
one, the more friction there is to onboarding, the less likely a company is going to be interested in going through that experience. Also, the more expensive it is, is, is for us to onboard every customer, which then impacts our, our, our pricing structure and the amount we have to, the amount we have to charge. And as, as we've looked at it, we've approached it from the perspective of how do we get the most bang for the buck? and make the onboarding very quick while also providing a, a very good level of security quickly. And, and for our core offering, which is how we get going with customers, that is going to be us deploying you know, CrowdStrike, which is a very easy technology to deploy and roll out. And then we do everything, you know, really all the customer has to do is just push it out, install it, which is very easy. And from there, we've got it all. And, and then we also tie in with things like O365 or Google Workspace, right? Which then gives us mm -hmm. visibility you know, into a lot of information about the company. Who's logging in, where they're logging in from, where are they accessing? We get visibility into to email for looking for business email compromise, things of that nature. And so we get a lot of coverage across that. And it's an API world now, right? And so... You know, doing what we do and the ease with which we do it has never been actually, you know, say, more possible just given SaaS and you know, the technology state of today. And so we're able to, you know, we have six customers now in our limited availability pilot program. They're, they're onboarded and running within, within a day. We've got them up on the platform, accounts created, rolling out eight, rolling out CrowdStrike, and then we're beginning to deliver, identify vulnerabilities, identify, help them go and you know, tee up work for them to do to address those vulnerabilities and you're very quickly hunting within their environment. And for the customer, it feels really like software. They don't, it doesn't feel like a heavy, heavy service. There's not much to do on their end. We engage with them largely when we need to ask them to do something that we can't do for them. And that's a big mm -hmm. part of our model is in the VSOC is we're monitoring, we're investigating if we need your help, we'll let you know. And we actually tee that work up through our platform in the form of a task. And we ask them to do something for us. We give them exact instruction on what, on what to do and how to do it. And when they've done it, then we can go on and do what we need to do. Um, but it's all mm -hmm. platform driven. And, and so far we found that the customers really like this experience and we're able to serve them very, very quickly in a way that keeps our cost attainable to this market. Also delivering you know, strong security. Obviously, CISA federal government has been very interested in helping its suppliers to up-level their cybersecurity for all the reasons that you've laid out. You mentioned CMMC, which is an effort, as you said, slow-moving effort to get them to raise the bar and do some kind of attestation about their internal security practices. Are there programs, or do you feel like the, the federal government is a, is a wind at your back right now or a wind in your face in terms of convincing potential customers, you need something like what Radical has to offer. Are there particular incentives or programs that they have that make an offering like yours more attractive? There's certainly not a, a wind in our face. I think, unfortunately, the government just moves slowly. Uh, and and also, I think they're trying to be careful and respectful of not dis disrupting the, you know, the event supply chain. And I suppose trading carefully, I would say they're trading too carefully. I think really what needs to happen to have companies begin to, to improve their posture, achieving a high degree of security needs to become a cost of doing business. Uh, the challenge right now is that CMMC, you're yeah. supposed to do it, but there's, there's 
you know, yet in place. There's no verification in place and there's no penalties. There's no teeth in that at all. Yeah. There's no teeth. And without the teeth, companies will drag their feet and some companies will choose to say, well, I'm not going to do anything because I'm not going to spend that. So I can go into my next bid on this project without carrying that cost burden and underbid my, my, my competition. And that then has their competition say, well, I can't afford to do it either because now I'm going to be too expensive to go into that bidding right. process. Right. And so it comes down to just you know, fundamental economic motivation. And if you're a CEO of, a, of, a, of one of these companies, your job is to ultimately stay in business. Um, yeah. No matter how much you care about protecting you know, your inventions, if doing so is so cost prohibitive, it makes you uncompetitive in the marketplace, you're just not going to do it. And CMMC is starting to get more traction. I think a lot of CEOs are starting to want to get ahead of it. But I think until it becomes an embedded cost of doing business, I mean, we're not going to see the pace of movement that, that needs to be seen. The government has done some, some nice things in terms of offering some free tools, free scanning tools, things of that nature. Challenge there, though, is a lot of these companies don't have the operators to actually take advantage of them. So, yes, I can go get free scans to tell me some things, but I don't know what to do with those results or how to operationalize it. And so <laughs> it, it's, yeah, it's nice, but I'm not sure it's actually actionable. Um, and in fact, think, once I know it, maybe I'm liable in some way that if I just don't know it, it's better for me. It'd be safer <laughs> just ignore it. Final question, Chris. Yeah. $9 million round. Congratulations. Yeah. It's amazing. No, what are you going to use it for? What's on your to-do list at Radical? Yeah, it really is to launch us into market is certainly a, a big part of it. So with the funding, we've built up our marketing organization. And, and so that's part of announcing the fundraising is the results of that new website. And, and then we're going to be sharing a lot of information about what we do and obviously, but also we're going to be sharing information that just helps companies think about security more effectively. I mean, we want to share like the things that we're hunting for, just share it out there so others can go hunt for it. We want to share how to, we're going to approach CMC compliance. Yes. We want to be an advocate for better security within the defense industrial base, regardless of whether a company works with us or not. And so you know, the funds will go towards those kind of efforts. Certainly we'll be hiring a sales team as well. And then just continuing to build. We have a very ambitious vision from a platform and offering perspective, especially when it comes to harnessing the fullest we can with AI and automation. And so it's, a lot of it's also just to keep seeing our roadmap realized. We're very happy. I've got a strong platform today, but we're, I think we're far from done in terms of seeing our ultimate vision realized around where this can go and needs to go technologically. Chris Peterson, CEO of Radical, thank you so much for coming on and speaking to us on Security Ledger Podcast. It's yeah. been great talking to you. Congratulations on the on the new funding round. Thanks, Paul. It's been a pleasure. Appreciate it. <laughs>